Would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we, um, we thank you for your amazing grace. Father, words really can't put into, um, just can't describe, just can't put into words just how amazing your love is for us. Father, as we consider that, we consider your love and grace in our lives, Father, we want to live for you each and every day. Father, as a response to the salvation that you've given to us. And so, Father, as we uh, spend, spend some time in your word this morning, Father, open up our hearts and minds, our ears, our eyes to see and behold you and your goodness from your word. And, Father, we pray that it would lead us to live in obedience and faith in you each and every day of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to open up to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3 is where we're going to be at today, um, looking at uh, this thought of being faithful to the God who saves, being faithful to the God who saves. Daniel chapter 3, as you're turning there, I want you to think uh, back maybe over this past week, and I want you to think about moments where you have had to exercise faith. Just think back as you're turning to Daniel 3, what are some, some moments in this past week where you've had to exercise faith, faith in God? As I think about that, and I try to answer that question for myself, um, I automatically start trying to think about big moments in my life where maybe I'm trying to discern God's will for me. Like, what, what does God want me to do, or where does he want me to go? And, and I think back over this past week, and I'm like, I really didn't have any of those really big decisions in my life. I think back to, to especially some of our some of our uh, younger folks are, are transitioning from maybe high school to college or out of college into into the workforce or into another level of education. And oftentimes when we think about having faith in God and walking by faith, we often we kind of narrow it um, that that exercise of faith down to those moments in our life where we're saying, God, what do you what's your will for me in this next stage of my life? These big moments. And, and, and that's good, that's right, and those are moments where we are to exercise faith. But, but if you were to think back over this past week, in fact, every moment, I would, I would dare say, um, was an opportunity for you to exercise faith. Because, because almost every moment of the day, we are tempted to turn our eyes away from God to the things of this world, we are pressured to reject God. And now we may not use that harsh of language, but that's what it is. We are tempted to reject God to go the way of the world. Moment by moment, many, 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 many times a day. And if we're going to stay focused on God, continuing to follow him in those moments, we must exercise faith. And so when we think about walking by faith and not by sight, it's not just in those big moments of life. It's also and mostly in those small day-to-day moments where we have the choice. Am I going to go the way of the world or am I going to look to Christ and follow him and live a holy life that he has called me to live? God has called us first to place our faith in Jesus for salvation. But then he calls each of us, after we have trusted in Christ for salvation, to live a life characterized by faithfulness to the God who has saved us. And this morning, I invite you to look with me at this story from God's Word where the faith of three men shine 
brightly in the midst of a pagan culture where God's saving power and glory will shine even brighter in the midst of this darkness if his people will have faith in him. I think as we examine this passage of Scripture, we'll discover six truths about faithfulness and be drawn by the saving power of God to live by faith each and every day. And remember, as we think about living by faith, in those moment-by-moment decisions of am I going to follow God in this moment or am I not? The book of Daniel takes place during the late 7th century B.C. and early 6th century B.C. And the nation of Israel at this point has turned its back on God, which has resulted in division and, and downfall. And by the time the events in Daniel take place, the southern kingdom of Judah, the northern kingdom has already been carried into exile. The southern kingdom of Judah is in the process of being overthrown by the nation of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. You've probably heard of him before. And he's already been carrying exiles from Israel, from Judah, to Babylon for several years. And four Hebrew exiles uh, are mentioned in the book of Daniel. Daniel is one of them. The other three are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, you probably recognize the name Daniel. You might not recognize the other three names, but you know who they are. Those are their Hebrew names, but we know them best by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And so it's to these three Hebrew exiles that we turn our attention in chapter 3. And, and, and we're just going to, instead of reading the entire chapter at one time, we're going to read it as we go, uh, walk through this passage of Scripture. Daniel has just correctly, in the previous chapter, he has just correctly interpreted a dream of the king and has been placed in a position of power. So I just want to start with the last verse of chapter uh, Two, and then we'll begin into chapter 3. Chapter 2, verse 49 says, Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel remained at the king's court. So we have our three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they have been placed in a position of prominence. They've been placed in a position of prominence. And the reason they have made it this position of prominence, you say, aren't they in a pagan nation and they don't worship the one true God? How are these Hebrew exiles who worship God able to rise to this position of power here? Well, because God has already blessed their faithfulness to him. And we don't have time to go back to Daniel chapter 1, Daniel chapter 2, but they have already been trusting God in difficult circumstances that God has blessed them with strength and wisdom so that they've been, they've been called out, even as Hebrews, even as the, the, the exiles, to, to have this position of power. But it is in this position of power when things seem to be going about as good as they could go if you're in exile in a foreign land, that they're faced with a test of their faith. King Nebuchadnezzar, verse 1 of chapter 3, made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. It's 90 feet tall. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, and the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So just notice who all is included. This is is the who's who of Babylon. I mean, all the important people have been invited, and it's a lot of them, and they're here. To worship this idol. Verse number four. And the herald proclaimed aloud. You are commanded. 
O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Truth number one I want to share with you today is this. Faithfulness to God will be challenged by the world. Faithfulness to, be God, to God will be challenged by the world. Notice that these three men desire to be faithful to God. And they have been faithful, and God has blessed them in that. But there's a challenge that has, that has arisen in front of them, a challenge to their faith in God. There's this, this massive statue that's been erected, and the king, the king has commanded that everyone bow down when they hear the sound of the music. And, and he quickly issues the consequences of what will happen if they don't. And notice the people's response. As soon as they hear the music, everybody bows down. Everybody. All of these important, important, important people. You say, well, what in the world does that have to do with me? I don't, I don't foresee in the next week anybody erecting a massive statue and telling me that if I don't bow down to it, that I'm going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. It's, story that happened a long time ago. Can I tell you that while King Nebuchadnezzar may not be here um, alive today, and there may be, not be a golden statue that you and I will be um, called upon to bow down and worship, the same prince of the power of the air that was at work then is at work today. His name is Satan, and that is exactly what he's called in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. It is the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Satan hates God and is constantly seeking to create an environment in our lives where worshiping God is difficult and costly because he is a glory stealer. He wants to steal God's glory, and so he will work events in our lives as he is able and given the ability to do so, so that it is difficult for us to worship the one true God. And we must view this world in which we live from this perspective. The temptation is always to become friends with the world. But in so doing, we become enemies of God, as James says in James chapter 4, verse 4. That's the temptation that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego face. To go the way of the world. Everyone around them bowing down. But they know that they serve the one true God. Their faithfulness is being challenged by the world, and our faithfulness is constantly being challenged. We must not be surprised when those in the world create rules, laws, expectations, customs, and cultures that oppose God. That shouldn't surprise us. The world is under the influence of the prince of the power of the air, Satan. In fact, the wise follower of Jesus will expect it. From this world. And that's why we must constantly be vigilant. I said that wrong. Vigilant. Got my letters mixed up. We must constantly be on guard. Satan comes dressed as an angel of light, Scripture says. But Scripture also says that he is a roaring lion, roaming, looking for someone to devour. And too often, followers of Christ just go along with the flow of society. Too often, we just jump right into whatever the world is doing around us without ever giving, think, think, uh, giving thought to God's view 
to God's thought about the current situation. Oh, it's just a song. It's just a TV show. It's just a movie. It's just a joke. It's just one night. It's just a website. It's just one time. It's just one look. It's just a little bit of fun. It's just, it's just, well, it just might be offensive to the God who created you and me. It might just be the prince of the power of the air, that ancient serpent dressed as a harmless song, harmless movie, harmless joke, harmless picture, harmless website, harmless drink, harmless friend. But all the while, he's thinking to devour you and me. One small bite at a time. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because your faith is being challenged right now. And it's very possible that you've been giving in to the ways of this world. But, but let me also speak a word of warning to those who may be sitting here thinking, well, man, me and God are tight. You know, uh, maybe that, that's been true in my life in the past, but right now I'm walking faithfully with God. To that I say, great. And, and, and I think you can say that and not, not, not be arrogant. And you say, hey, right now, man, God's just, God's just pouring his love and grace in my life. And, and um, he's just delivered me from so many past sins. And I'm, I'm just seeking by his grace to walk faithfully with him. And it's a, it's a great season in my life right now when it comes to walking in faithfulness. That means you're in the same season that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in. They were in a season where God had been blessing their faithfulness. And it would have been really easy for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to begin to let their guard down. In chapter 1, they passed the first test. And God blessed them for it. And now they're in this position of prominence and power. I mean, things are going well in their relationship with God. But it's often in those moments where we stop being vigilant. And we forget that Satan still hates us. And is still out to get us. And we let our guard down. It's in this moment of spiritual victory for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when perhaps the greatest test of their faith in life is thrown their way. question is, have they let their guard down in their prosperity? Or will they see the situation for what it is? Satan making an attack. The world challenging their faith. Truth number two. Faithfulness to God will result in rejection by the world. Faithfulness to God will result in rejection by the world. Now, just to give you a, a, a little bit of what's coming, what's coming, um, they're, they're not going to bow down. They're going to do the right thing. And so often when we think, oh, I, I, I did the right thing, I made the right choice, and, and God is honored, and everybody around me is going to be excited that I made the right choice. But often, everyone around us, the world, is not excited when we choose to follow God. Notice what happens. Therefore, at that time, in verse 8, Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever! You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Notice what they say in verse 12. So remind the king of his command and what the consequences will be for those who don't. 
Verse 12, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So, yes, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego paid no attention to the king. Good job, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, God's just going to pour down his blessings. There's going to be a parade in your honor because you chose to worship the one true God. No, what's the result? To their loyalty, their devotion, their faithfulness and remaining firmly rooted to God. Their willingness to, to, to work for and serve the pagan king until it meant dishonoring God. What happened? Well, the first thing that happened is that they were rejected. Probably by people that knew them. Remember, they're in a position of power. And so they're starting to get to, get to know some of the other Chaldeans. The people from that nation who are in power. So they're probably starting to kind of get to know some of them. Maybe making some headway, even though they're the outsiders. And becoming friends and, and trying to fit in just a little bit there in that country. And what do they do? Immediately turn their back on the ones who are seeking to honor the one true God. Nothing has changed. The world will continue to reject those who took a, take a stand. Who have faith. In the one true God. This is perhaps one of the most difficult things about remaining faithful to God in a world that is opposed to God. Is that we will face rejection. And let's just be honest. Nobody likes to be rejected. That's not a fun feeling. It's not. It hurts when we're rejected. It hurts when a family member rejects us. It hurts when a friend rejects us. It hurts when those around us reject us. And that's exactly what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are experiencing. But we will face rejection in this world if we seek to follow the Lord. In fact, the fear of rejection by our fears, I think, by our our peers is one of the main reasons people do things that they regret, right? I mean, that's why we teach our children. That's why we have that phrase called peer pressure. And while we most often hear it in the context of kids and teenagers, peer pressure affects adults just as much. Imagine Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing upright as the music played and everybody, all of their peers, are falling to the ground in obedience to the king's command. Imagine the pressure to kneel, to bow, to fit in, to not stand out, literally and figuratively, in the crowd. Have you ever felt that pressure before? I felt it. I felt the weight of everyone else Going one way, but me knowing that to honor God meant doing the opposite of what everyone else was doing. That weight is heavy. Maybe it was last week at work when someone told an immoral joke and the pressure to laugh was heavy. Maybe it was when your friends were talking about how much they were looking forward to watching the next episode of an immoral TV show and the pressure to watch it so that you could participate in that conversation the next day at work was heavy. Maybe it was this weekend when your friends were doing something you knew dishonored God and they wanted you to join them and the pressure to join was heavy. Maybe it was when your buddies were talking down about their wives and you remembered something that your wife had done and you could have joined right into that conversation and made fun of her and they all would have laughed. But you knew that God had called you to build up your wife and not tear her down whether she was present or not. But that pressure was there. See, that's what I'm talking about when I talk about those moments of 
faith. It's not just those big, massive decisions that we think of that require faith. It's those moment-by-moment decisions to follow Jesus with our lives. It's not fun to be rejected, you may say. I wonder how much fun it was for our master as the soldier spit mixed with the blood on his aching face while he watched those closest to him turn their backs on him. You see, Jesus hasn't called us to live a way that he hasn't already lived. Our master has faced rejection by the world, and if he was rejected, then we should expect no less. In fact, Jesus said this, Remember the word that I said to you, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. God's people have always experienced rejection by the world, and you you and I are no different. We shouldn't be surprised when our faithfulness to God results in rejection by the world. The question then is, how do we stand firm? How do we remain faithful to God? Truth number three, faithfulness to God requires an unwavering knowledge of God's power and character. Faithfulness to God requires an unwavering knowledge of his power and character. We find this in verses 13 through 15. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? He gives them a second chance here in verse 15. He says, Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, if you're ready to do this, well and good. He's going to give them a second chance. Oh, you can feel the pressure. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Notice this question. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Notice. Notice the question. This question is at the heart of this entire chapter. Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Who is it? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in a moment of crisis here in their faith. And it all hinges not on whether or not they can muster up the right amount of faith. It hinges on whether or not they believe God to be who he says he is. In fact, this whole story centers around the person and character of God. Who is he? Who is the one true God? Is he someone that I can place my faith in and trust the results to him? Or is he not? Is he someone powerful enough to care for me and take care of me? Or is he not? Is he someone with the character who will love me enough to provide exactly what I need in this moment as I choose to follow him? It's a question that confronts each one of us as we are tempted day in and day out with following the ways of the world instead of following God. He questions the power and the character of God. Who is this God? Tell me, who is this God? You can see the arrogance in Nebuchadnezzar's question. You know what his answer is? What's Nebuchadnezzar's answer to his question? There's not one. You're not going to bow down because you're going to worship your God. There's no God out there more powerful than me. But how will Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answer 
this question. They know the answer to this question. The answer is Yahweh. The answer is the God Most High, the God of Israel, the God who created all that is, the God who is sovereign over all the world. They knew the one true God. They knew of his power. They knew of his character. Their God was all powerful and he had the ability to save them if he chose to do so. Their God had a character that was saturated by rescuing love for his people. And their God enjoyed displaying his power by providing deliverance. Say, well, how did they know that? Remember who, who they are. They're Hebrews. They're Israelites. They had grown up hearing stories from God's Word told to them by their parents, their grandparents, about all the ways that God displayed His mighty, powerful, rescuing abilities all throughout history. I can only imagine that as they stood there, faced with this question, knowing what is coming if they choose not to obey, their minds had to have gone back to God's deliverance of His people from Egypt. To God's deliverance of His people from all their enemies that whole time they're wandering around the promised land. To the establishment of the kingdom as God continually delivered them out of the hands of their enemies. Their minds went back to the knowledge of how God had worked all throughout history. Where will our minds go to? Well, if we spend time reading and studying God's word, we become very familiar with this God. And so when there's a moment, this crisis, where we have to decide, is God worth it? Is he a God who is powerful enough and who loves me enough that I can place my faith in him and trust the results to him? If we spent time in God's word, then we'll know and be acquainted with this God. And our answer will be the same as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, there is a God. He is the God that I serve. And he can be trusted. Their faithfulness was rooted in their knowledge of the God in whom their faith was placed. But if we don't know this God, we're not going to know that He's worthy of our love and devotion and worship. We're not going to know that He's one that we can place our faith in. Our faith will always falter if our eyes are not continually fixed on the one true God, on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. It's kind of like a man who's so focused on, so in love with, with a woman, he's infatuated with her, that he'll do anything to be with her, no, no matter the cost. Not because he's heroic and he's strong and he can endure lots of things, but because he's so fixed on that one that he loves. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are so in love with their God. They love him so much. They love who he is. And they love what he does for his people that they can't think of anything else than being with Him, drawing near to Him, serving Him, loving Him in this moment. And how could I be so in love with God that I wouldn't care about how much serving Him might cost? Well, we get to look to the cross. He, they, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were able, only able to look back on a certain number of things that God has done. But we are able to look back on the greatest display of God's power and loving character 
known to mankind, the cross of Jesus Christ. And so in those moments where we face those temptations, temptations that I've mentioned, temptations that I haven't mentioned, but you know that those are temptations that you struggle with. We look back to the cross and we say, I serve a God who is powerful enough to save, to rescue me from my sin, who has a character of love and grace and mercy that acted on my behalf. And so why would I not serve him? I know who the God is who can deliver me. It is the God most high, the God who sent his son to rescue me from my sin. An unwavering knowledge that God has the power to save and the character of redeeming love that moves him to save is essential if we're to remain faithful no matter the cost. And faithfulness will be costly. You know what happens next? Let's look at this next truth. Faithfulness to God should never be contingent upon the earthly consequences. Notice what happens. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answer the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But notice verse 18. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. This is incredible. This is incredible faith. This is an incredible God that would deserve such faith. Notice what they say. I don't think this is what I would have said. I would have said the first part. We serve a God who's able to deliver us. And he can rescue us from the fiery furnace. And here's what I would have added. And I know that he is going to do that. Therefore, I will trust him. But what do they add? Well, we don't actually know if he's going to deliver us. He may choose not to. We say, hmm, that, 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 that adds a little factor in there. They don't actually know that God's going to deliver them from the fiery furnace. They don't know what's going to happen if they choose to continue to have faith in their God. Because God hasn't promised earthly rescue from the consequences of following Him. What He has promised is eternal life. Whether God saved them or not, it was true that they would be delivered out of the King's hand. Either they would walk into the fiery furnace and not be burned and walked out, or they would walk into the fiery furnace and be incinerated, and then they would spend the rest of eternity enjoying the presence of the God who made them and loved them. Either way, they were going to be delivered out of the hand of the king. But they didn't know what was going to happen next. And that's what faith is. That's what faith is. It's where we trust in God, even though we don't know what is going to happen next. When God says, I call you to live a holy life. And though everyone else is doing this, I am calling you to live this way. And you say, God, I might be rejected. God, I might lose my friends. God, I'm, I, I, that family member might not ever speak to me again. Father, I could lose my job. What's going to happen? The answer is, we don't know. And the question is, do we trust God? Do we trust God? Faithfulness to God should never be contingent upon the earthly consequences. 
And I wonder, I wonder if, if so often our faith is contingent on these earthly consequences. God doesn't always, rarely does he tell his people how things are going to turn out. At least not the immediate consequences of following him. We don't know, but he still calls us to walk in faith. Their response is not, we will not bow down to your image as long as God rescues us. That's faith with a contingency plan. They didn't say, I will trust God until something bad happens or until he doesn't do what I think is best. That's trusting God with a contingency plan. I'll trust him until I'll trust him as long as he gives me what I want. I'll trust him as long as he provides physical protection and comfort and physical blessings in this life. But as soon as I don't have that, then uh, he's not worthy of my faith anymore. No, God is always worthy of our faith. Why would we seek to preserve physical health and wealth, which is temporary, instead of remaining faithful to the one who has purchased our salvation and triumphantly defeated death on our behalf. God is worthy of worship. He's worthy of obedience no matter the cost. Psalm chapter 63 verse 3 says, Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. It's an opportunity for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to praise their God. But they have to believe that his steadfast love is better than their life. And so it is. True faithfulness is not contingent on earthly consequences. True faithfulness is more concerned with God's opinion and the opinion of those around us. But then here's what happens. God sets this up. He sets this up so that this story will end with a magnificent, glorious display of God's power and might to save. God works in and through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in such a way that not their fate is put on display for all to see, but God's glory is put on display for all to see. Yes, we see their faith, but it's behind the scenes. God is the focus of this story. Number five, faithfulness to God provides an opportunity for God to display his saving power. Faithfulness to God provides an opportunity for God to display his saving power. Let's see what happens. Then Nebuchadnezzar is filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. He cranks up the heat. He's going he's gonna to kill them quick. He orders some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments. And they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace because the king's order was urgent that the furnace overheat, be overheated. The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, this thing is hot. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. And then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four. I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. 
and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. The Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Who is the God who can deliver? Nebuchadnezzar answered his own question. Come out, sons of the Most High God, worshipers of the Most High God. Just a few minutes earlier, Nebuchadnezzar was saying, who is the God who's worthy of that kind of faith? And God says, I am. I am, King Nebuchadnezzar, and all the rest of you. I am. And the faith of these three men provided an opportunity for God to display his saving power, not only to these three men, but to the world that was watching. Here's the incredible thing about your faith and my faith. It's not that our faith is incredible. It's not. Our faith is often weak. But the one in whom we place our faith, if that one is the Most High God, He is not weak. And every moment of every day, when you are faced with the temptation to go the way of the world, that pressure is there, you choose either to follow the ways of the world or to follow God. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for God to display His saving power. Now, it may not look like you walking into a fiery furnace and walking out the the other side and not smelling like smoke. But when you're questioned, why would you not do this? That's what everybody else is doing. You then have an opportunity to say, yeah, well, I serve a God who loves me so much. That he sent his one and only son to rescue me from my sin. So I wouldn't walk in that sin anymore. He is worthy of my faith. And it doesn't matter to me what happens as a result of this choice. I trust him with the results. And whether he rescues me physically now or whether he ushers me into his presence, I will be delivered He's the God that I serve. And God's glory, His saving power, gets put on display for all to see. You know, I wonder if sometimes the reason we don't see more of God's mighty power at work in our lives is that we're trying to reverse the order here. You see, we sit around asking God to do something powerful, and all the while we're walking by sight instead of faith. We sit around and we say, tell me what's going to happen and then I'll serve you. And that's not how God puts his saving power on display. God says, serve me and trust me with the results. And that's exactly what these men do. And we see the result. God's power, his saving power gets put on display. Now, who who gets the glory here? Who gets the praise? 
See, here's where our sin nature just comes right back in. And, and then in moments of victory, we want to turn the attention to ourselves. And even in a story like this, it's easy for us to walk away going, man, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were just incredible. Man, I wish I had their kind of faith. And we put them up on this platform, this pedestal, and we think, man, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are like superheroes when it comes to following God. I mean, I couldn't be like that. I can't do that. We try to live up to this standard of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who put all the focus on them, instead of realizing the story really isn't about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is about the God who is able. It's about the God in whom we are to place our faith. He will give us the strength to do what we're called to do as long as our eyes are fixed on Him. As long as we believe that He is the God who is able. It is not about how much faith you can muster. It's about the one in whom your faith is placed. And that's how the story ends. Not with all the focus being on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. With all the focus being on the one that Nebuchadnezzar himself called the Most High God. And so we close with this truth. That faithfulness to God results in God receiving glory for His saving power. God receiving the glory. We don't walk in faith so that we will receive glory. We walk in faith so God will receive glory. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God. Not blessed be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So much we could say about that passage. But just notice this. That when God gives us an opportunity to act in faith, to exit out of that website, to turn off the TV, to not laugh at the joke, to tell the truth instead of lying. He is orchestrating a way for His saving glory to be put on display for a watching world so that here, here's what we get to participate in. Not, it's not just about us. So that others can witness how great our God is so that they will turn and worship Him as well. What did God say about our good works? Let your good works so shine before others that they would see them and what? Give glory to you? No, give glory to to God. It's actually a part of us being obedient to the Great Commission. It's, about, it's a part of us being obedient, obedient to what God has called us to do. Part of going and making disciples, part of sharing the good news of Christ with others, is living holy lives before the watching world. And sometimes that means that we'll be rejected. Sometimes that means that we'll be hurt. Sometimes that means that 
comforts will be taken away from us. We may even be thrown into a fiery furnace. But when we trust in the Lord and our faith remains steadfast in Him, is an opportunity for us to partner with God in putting His rescuing power on display for all the world to see. Why would you do that? Why would you, why, why would you not give in to the pressure? Why, don't, why would you not do what all of us are doing? Because my God is powerful and He is a God who saves and He has saved me and He can save you. It's a witness to the watching world of our God. Moment by moment, second by second, choice by choice, walking in faith. Let me ask you a question again. What were the opportunities you had this past week to exercise faith? Well, we can't change the past. So let me ask a different question. What are the opportunities that you'll have this week to exercise faith? What are the temptations that you already know are coming? And then we'll add in the ones that you don't see coming. Those are opportunities. Those are opportunities for you to show the watching world that your God is the one true God. And He is worthy of our devotion, our obedience, of our faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are a God who is mighty to save. And You have displayed that on Calvary's cross as Your Son paid the price for our sin. Father, I pray that there's someone here who who can't walk by faith each day because they've never placed their faith in Jesus, Father, that today they would do that. That today they would place their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, You are worthy of our faith. You are worthy to be trusted. You are a rescuing God. But Father, You don't call us simply to place our faith in You one day and then it not affect the rest of our lives. Lord, as Christians, you call us to walk by faith each and every day. And Lord, we must do that if we are going to not give in to the temptations and the pressures of this world that we all face on a daily basis. Father, my prayer for us as a church is that we would be people who, when those moments come, where we are faced with a choice to go the way of the world or stay committed to You. Father, that we would consider how good and great You are and that it wouldn't even be a question in our mind that though the world may say, who is the God? We say, there is a God. He is the one who has sent His Son to rescue me. And He is the one who will give me strength to stand firm on what is true, to be obedient to His Word. Father, in these moments that we're going to face this week, I pray that we would have faith in You 
And that the result would be that your glory, your saving power, is put on display for all to see. In Jesus' name, Amen.